Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, everybody. It's Doc from the John Freaking Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Greetings, hikers. Thank you for tuning into the John Freakin' Muir Pod. I'm Doc and I'm your host. I hope you all are safe and healthy out there and are finding innovative ways to spend your time in lockdown. With some national parks and other outside recreation areas being shut down right now, some of us can't even solo hike to practice good social distancing. Hang in there and don't go stir crazy. 
Well, I'm going solo again this week on this episode. I tried to enlist my youngest, who goes by the trail name Half Calf, to see if she wanted to sit across and uh, help co-host, but she says she hates the sound of her own voice, so she passed on that. So you're stuck with me. In past episodes, we have talked about prep, training, gear, adventure media, and short and long epic trips. This week, I'm going to reach back into my English major days and tell you a story. We'll get to that story in just a second, but let's get the preliminaries out of the way. We are up to listeners in 31 states now. That's an improvement by one state from last week. So let's give a big welcome to Idaho to the pod. I'm based in California, and so is the John Muir Trail. So it's no surprise that the majority of my domestic listeners come from California. But do you know which state is second in terms of listeners to the John freaking Muir pod? Do you? Well, it's Tennessee. And in their honor, I'm going to give a shout out to the communities in Tennessee who are tuning in. Thank you, Maryville, Nashville, Franklin, Knoxville, Murfreesboro, McMinnville, Greenville, and Martin. And this next part... I say it every week, but I think you guys ignore it because there's been absolutely no action, none, on the rating and reviews front. Remember, if you are enjoying the podcast, one of the best things you can do for us is subscribe, give us a rating, and leave a review. And if you are not enjoying the podcast, then you should probably just keep that to yourself. And judging from the lack of ratings and reviews, I'm starting to think no one likes this pod. But the listens keep racking up, so I'm hopeful that you just don't have the time. Let me renew my call for action. Take two minutes and give the pod a rating and or review. In fact, the first person to leave a review after this episode airs will receive a shout out during our next episode. Now, when we come back from the break, it's going to be storytelling time for Doc. Stay tuned. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome back. All right, on to the story. We could all probably name a few of the historic figures who have championed the outdoors, right? I mean, this podcast is named for one. Names like John Muir, Ansel Adams, Teddy Roosevelt, and Ralph Waldo Emerson easily come to mind. This week, though, I'm going to tell you the story of a man whose name you might not be familiar with. And like all good storytellers, I'm not going to start at the beginning. I'm going to start in the middle. It was a dark and stormy night at the end of October in 1928. Actually, I'm not sure if it was dark and stormy, but I'm going to take creative license where I can with this story. The important facts will be shared verbatim, 
but I may get a little loose in the name of drama and storytelling. So, it was dark and stormy, and it wasn't just the end of October, it was Halloween. Our main character, Norman, was crouched down behind the large oak tree at the front of the Lone High School in Independence, California, a small town at the foot of the eastern Sierra Mountains. With a quick glance, Norman could see the clouds rolling across the tops of the nearby 14,000 footers, and a flash of lightning lit up that rainy night. Creative license, remember? Norman peered out from around the tree, and from beneath his trademark campaign hat, with rain dripping from its brim, looked down the main street, watching for the headlights of the car he knew was coming. He took a deep breath and touched the revolver in the holster on his right hip, without realizing he was doing it. He was not going to stand by and let this happen again. Last Halloween, several seniors from the school had decided on the trick option of trick-or-treat. They had shown up to an empty high school in the dead of night and had wreaked havoc. This wasn't good-natured trickery. This was destruction of a magnitude that took days and weeks to put back together. And Norman's life was turned upside down during that time period. Not this year, though. Norman was not going to stand for that. You see, Norman was the principal of this high school and had been for the last four years. He had taken the job in 1924, not only because of his education and training as an educator, but also primarily because of its proximity to the Sierras. He needed the mountains, you see. He had interviewed and been offered the job as teacher and principal of the school just five years after Winifred, his wife, had died of tuberculosis. She had been a nurse and they had been married just four short years before she caught and succumbed to the disease that she had treated so many others for. That had broken Norman. Some events in your life change you. That was one of those events. Norman was not the same. The quick smile that had been his trademark for so long didn't make many appearances anymore. Monday through Friday, it was about getting the job done, about teaching the students. Norman was a taskmaster who brought what he felt was much needed discipline to these students. The students, though, certainly did not agree, and they bridled at Norman's constraints and structure. But you know who needed that structure? Norman needed the structure, that was for sure. Structure and work kept the mind from wandering to happier times, the times when it wasn't just him and a lonely meal at the dinner table. Weekends, though, they were different. They were structured in a different way. The weekends were for the mountains. Norman had caught the hiking bug when his family moved to Ottawa when he was a kid. His father was an Irish clergyman who bounced around a bit from congregation to congregation. It was during that stint in Ottawa when he started exploring the, the outdoors. The exploration of the great outdoors continued after Norman graduated from Geneva College in the Classics in 1909. He visited Yosemite and Sequoia for the first time and started peak bagging. Those were his first peaks, but certainly not his last. During his climbing career, Norman would make thousands of hikes and climbs including between 130 and 160 first ascents, depending upon what source material you're looking at. In fact, in the year before he became principal in Independence, he set the speed record for reaching the summit of Mount Shasta, climbing the final 6,000 feet in just 3 hours and 17 minutes. That same year, he also climbed 36 peaks in 36 days in Glacier National Park in Montana. Those weekend outings, though, the hikes and the climbs, put Norman at odds with the high society of independence. You see, the upper crust of independence thought that the town's principal should be in attendance at the social gatherings, including church, that took place on the weekends. 
The fact that Norman eschewed that social activity for his time in the Sierras didn't sit well with those folks. In fact, during his first year as principal, Norman bagged 42 peaks in the Sierras, and half of those were first ascents. First ascent does, does not mean it was Norman's first time on the peak. It means it was the first time anyone was on that peak. In his second year as principal, he completed 53 more climbs. Those numbers represent a lot of time away from the social gatherings of independence. This will be important a little later in our story. Let's get back to Norman, with the rain dripping from the brim of his hat, his hand on his holstered pistol, and peering around that tree down the road, waiting for the car he knew was coming. He had overheard a conversation after one of his classes earlier in the week, and what he had heard did not bode well for the school grounds. He had been so looking forward to this weekend's hike, possibly a last outing up into the mountains before the impending snow made such activities impossible for a few months, that he had forgotten about the destructive hijinks from last Halloween. So tonight, after his dinner at the card table in his kitchen, Norman had put on his hat, jacket, and holster and had trudged down the five blocks to the school and waited. Shortly after 10 o'clock, he saw the approaching headlights. As the car grew near and slowed, Norman stepped out from behind the oak tree and raised his hands in warning, the gun still in its holster. The car stopped near the curb, 30 feet from Norman, and the passenger window lowered. Norman yelled, Not this year, boys. This isn't happening tonight. Turn around and go home. The boy in the passenger seat stuck out his head, from the window. Norman could see he was dressed up as a cowboy, complete with a cowboy hat and bandana. Billy, because all unruly boys and stories are named Billy, right? Yelled back at Norman, Mr. Clyde, you ain't stopping us. Ain't no one stopping us. This is our night. The driver revved the engine several times and the car began to approach slowly. Actually, the details on this are pretty thin, but remember, I'm taking creative license here to keep you interested. Norman drew the pistol from its holster and fired a warning shot into the air. The car stopped momentarily, but then continued its approach. Norman lowered the pistol and fired a shot short and left of the car. It struck a rock, however, and ricocheted into the side of the car on the passenger door. The boys inside shrieked, and the car shot away into the night. Norman shook his head slowly as the car disappeared and wondered at his bad luck. It turns out no one was hurt that night but the boys shared what had happened with their parents, some of whom belonged to that upper crust of independence. When they heard that not only did they have a school principal who was off gallivanting in the hills on the weekends, but that he had also fired a gun at their boys, enough was enough. Complaints were filed with the sheriff, who at first tried to dismiss the events of the night. In fact, he said that Norman Clyde was such a good shot that if he had meant to fire on those boys, he wouldn't have missed. But the town was not having it. The complaints and the uproar continued, and ultimately, Norman resigned his position in exchange for avoiding prosecution. Some people say that things happen for a reason, and things have a, th a way of working out, and that may have been what happened here. You see, Norman now had a whole lot more time to devote to hiking, and that's what he did. People also say that if you earn your money doing what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, Norman never worked another day as long as he lived. On one of his multiple week jaunts through the Sierras that year, 
Norman Clyde met some professional mountain guides and found his inspiration. He would continue to guide others through the mountains he loved so much well into the 1960s, when he was in his 70s. During that time of year when it was too snowy to guide, he worked as a, as a caretaker at some mountain resorts you may have heard of, including Glacier Point in Yosemite, Glacier Lodge above the town of Big Pine, and Giant Forest in Sequoia. It was also in 1928 when he first became a published author, having a series of articles titled Close-Ups of the High Sierra in a Travel Magazine. You see, after obtaining his initial degree in 1909 from Geneva College, Norman enrolled in Berkeley, yes, that Berkeley, the University of California Berkeley, in 1911, but dropped out in 1913 after completing all but one class and not writing a literature thesis he thought no one would read. Norman was no stranger to writing, and now he had decided to write about what he loved, the Sierras and the outdoors. When all was said and done, Norman ended up writing thousands of pieces that were published, including 1,467 articles that currently reside in the Bancroft Library at the University of California, Berkeley. Following that fateful Halloween evening in 1928, the legend of Norman Clyde and his exploits only grew. I say legend because what he was able to accomplish seems superhuman, but the historical record supports and confirms his feats. In 1931, he was part of a group of four men who learned the latest techniques of roped climbing from Robert L. M. Underhill, who was a Harvard professor and Appalachian Mountain Club member. Underhill had made several first ascents in, of the Tetons in Wyoming. Following that training, the small group then completed the first ascent of the last unclimbed 14,000 plus foot peak in the Sierras. Prior to that climb, this peak was unnamed and their ascent was so harrowing with the, with the weather that they named it Thunderbolt Peak. Norman later became known as the pack that walks like a man because of his enormous backpack. Remember, this was far before our current days of ultralight gear. His pack was a duffel bag lashed to a six pound Yukon pack frame. When he guided others, here's a list of some of what he carried. As many as five cameras, a hammer and a cobbler's anvil to repair clients' boots, a full-size Hudson Bay axe, six large kettles, cups, spoons, dishes, and bowls, and all the condiments, as well as several types of boots for the varying terrain and conditions. He also carried an assortment of books in various languages. Remember, he graduated with a degree in the classics. His favorites were books written in Greek because, as he said, they lasted longer. It was not uncommon for Norman's pack to weigh in at 80 pounds, which was more than half of what he himself weighed. Before we finish our time with Norman Clyde, I would like to share one more story that reveals a bit more about the man. Norman was also involved in several recovery operations in which climbers tragically lost their lives in remote places. Perhaps the most famous of these recoveries was the one involving the disappearance of Walter Pete Starr, a former track star at Stanford University and a renowned climber in his own right. Though Starr and Clyde, Clyde had never met, they shared an immense respect for each other. When Starr failed to come back from a climb in the Minarets near Mammoth Lakes in August of 1933, search teams were immediately launched. Experienced climbers and family members of Starr searched for days with no luck. Norman was one of them. 
When Starr's father called off the search, everyone packed up and went back to mourn and plan for Pete's memorial. Norman, though, stayed and continued the search for another five days on his own. For this next part, the fifth day of Norman's solo search, I'm going to borrow from William Alsop's article, The Search for Peter Starr. The next morning, Clyde moved carefully up Michael Minaret, clinging to the nearly 90-degree rock like a spider. At the top, around midday, he wrote his name and date in the register and paused to peer southeast towards the Palisades, Mount Goddard, and so many other peaks dear to him. Vexed over Star, he began the descent. Then came one of the most climactic encounters in all of Sierra Mountaineering. Clyde later described it himself. As I carefully and deliberately made my way down toward the notch, I scanned and rescanned the northwestern face. Much of it was concealed by irregularities. Suddenly a fly droned past, then another, and another. I began to follow a ledge running in a northwesterly direction. When I had gone along it but a few yards, turning about, I looked upward and across the chute to the northwestern face. There, lying on a ledge not more than 50 yards distance, were the earthly remains of Walter A. Starr, Jr. He had obviously fallen perhaps several hundred feet to instantaneous death. Norman made his way back to Mammoth and sent word to the family by telegraph. Pete's father organized a party to return to Michael Minaret and bury Pete at the site of the fall. Two weeks later, Pete's mother Carmen wrote to Norman saying, I know of no words adequate in which to express the gratitude I feel for your great efforts, which finally resulting in your finding of our beloved boy. The knowledge of what had been his actual fate lifted from our hearts a burden that I do not see how we could have lived under. Norman continued climbing the rest of his life, living by himself most of that time in a ranch house on Baker Creek, near Big Pine. When the weather allowed, he slept outside on a mattress and a sleeping bag, much preferring that to being inside and away from the night sky. Norman Clyde died in Bishop, California at the age of 87. Among his many accolades was an honorary Doctor of Science degree from Geneva College, and his namesakes in the Sierras, Clyde Minaret, Norman Clyde Peak, and Clyde Spires. We've talked on this pod about the reason people get out there on the trail, about their need to fix themselves or find something out there. I think we can see this same thing played out in Norman Clyde's story. Though he was an accomplished mountain man prior to that sorrowful period in his life that saw him lose his young wife and get run out of town, his return to the mountains helped him, gave him purpose, and gave him his life back. I want to thank the Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks website, the Adventure Sports Journal, the Owens Valley History website, and the Eastern California Museum website for their source material and inspiration. Any factual errors are solely mine, as well as the dramatic embellishments. So there you have it. That's it. Episode 10 is in the books. I hope you guys enjoyed this story, and that it gives you inspiration to keep hitting the trails when we're allowed to get back out there. Remember, if you are interested in being a guest contributor for the John Freakin' Muir pod, there are a number of ways to get in touch. There's email at johnfreakinmuir at gmail.com, as well as Twitter at johnfreakinmuir and Instagram, johnfreakinmuir. And for clarification, there is no G in freaking. Also, if you're hiking all or part of the JMT this season and would like to be a correspondent from the trail in order to share conditions and stories, please get in touch and let's set that up. And how about uh, pro tip insight of the week? 
Well, for this episode, I'm thinking that uh, in honor of the first weekend warrior, the man who taught Monday through Friday and bagged peak after peak on the weekends, in honor of Norman Clyde, this episode's pro tip inside of the week is get out there and be a weekend warrior. Take advantage of those days off. That's a wrap from the John Freakamere Studio. Thank you for tuning in, and always remember, the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill. Doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Thank you.